Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, where food bloggers come to get their fill of the latest tips, tricks, and insight into the world of food blogging. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll provide you with the tools you need to add value to your blog, and we'll also ensure you're taking care of yourself because food blogging is a demanding job. Now, please welcome your host, Megan Porta. Food bloggers, don't forget to check out the food blogging forum style community that we started over at forum.eatblogtalk.com. Finally, there's one place that we can all convene and talk and that isn't scattered all over Facebook. Here are the things that I am loving about it. It is free. It also allows for categorized discussions on all food blogging topics And there's a category for sharing successes, aka self-promotion. So no more holding back about discussing your big wins and things that you're promoting. Also, everything is in one single spot. So no hopping around from group to group. And there's an amazing opportunity to network and really get to know your fellow food bloggers in a single place. So come join the discussions that are going on over at forum.eatblogtalk.com. And I hope you enjoy this as much as I do. Don't forget forum.eatblogtalk.com. Okay, food bloggers, have you heard of Flowdesk, the new big email marketing rage? This is an amazing new option for managing your email subscriber list. It is super easy to use and it comes with gorgeous, intuitive drag and drop templates. And Flowdesk does not charge based on number of subscribers. So your monthly rate will stay the same from month to month. Everyone pays $38 a month or use my affiliate link to get 50% off and pay only $19 a month. You guys, this is a fraction of the price of other email service providers, and you'll be blown away by the beautiful and intuitive templates waiting for you inside. Visit eatblogtalk.com forward slash resources to grab your link. Flowdesk, the stunning new option for email marketing. Hey, food bloggers, welcome to Eat Blog Talk, the podcast made for you, food bloggers seeking value for your businesses and your lives. Today, I will be having a chat with Anisha Hero from smartypantskitchen.com, and we will talk about how to serve your audience by going beyond the basics. Anisha is a Southern-based food blogger with over 25 years experience in commercial and residential kitchens. She has formally studied food science and nutrition at the collegiate level and has useful food information to share with us today. Anisha, first of all, I love the name of your website so much. When I saw it, I was like, dang, I wish I had that name, Smarty Pants Kitchen. (laughs) So great. Thank you, Megan. Yeah. And I'm very excited for our chat today. But first, give us a quick fun fact about yourself. Okay, first, Megan, thank you so much for visiting with me today. I'm, I'm very excited and I'm very appreciative. A fun fact about me. Well, there are two that I would be happy to share. One, I'm a native Texan and I've never been on a horse. Oh. <laughs> and two, I can tap dance. <laughs> oh, yep. both very cool. You can <laughs> tap dance. I don't know many people who can say that. And what are the odds of a Texan not having ever been on a horse? I think most Texans can say they have been, right? I think so. (laughs) And why why not? Are you opposed to horses or just it's never come up? It's just never come up. Interesting. Yeah. 
Huh. Very interesting. Well, tap dancing skills too. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Thank you for sharing both of those. Okay. Let's talk about why you're here today because I think this is a really relevant and timely topic because we food bloggers, as you know, are doing everything we can to stretch our food and resources and We have audiences who are leaning into us wanting to know how to do this as well. So the information you are going to talk about today is going to serve us, yes, but it's also going to serve our readers and our users. So it's kind of a win-win for us. Anisha, your approach is basically if you can read, you can cook. So talk to us about your approach. It's not rocket science. It's actually a very simple approach. When I first started cooking, you know, we just had cookbooks. But if you can look in the cookbook and read the, the ingredients, read the steps, read the notes, read it thoroughly, you get an overall kind of an overview of exactly what you're going to be going into the kitchen and doing. And some people are very intimidated by the kitchen. Some people get frustrated with lengthy recipe instructions. And so as food bloggers, I think it's important for us to keep it simple, keep it basic, and inspire others to to go in and and cook, try it, you know. Yeah. And that's the great thing about food blogging. I think one of the great things is that we can do a really good job of simplifying recipes and write posts about it and kind of dive into those steps that might be confusing and just like you said, a regular cookbook recipe. And isn't that funny that some people are just so intimidated by recipes, it's almost like they have a mental block to it. Like they they probably could sit down and figure it out, but they're like, oh, I can't, I can't figure out this recipe. But we as food bloggers can take something that might be overwhelming or a little bit more complicated and simplify it and deliver it to people in a very simple and easy way. And that's one of the coolest things about being a food blogger is that we're like adding value in that way. So Right. And we need to break it down. We need to break it down into baby steps so it's just not overwhelming. Yeah. Well, I like your approach because it's true. If you can read, you can cook. And I think we should start just by talking through your process because you have a four-step process for going beyond the basics with our food. So can you talk us through those? Absolutely. What I call it, tongue-in-cheek, is how to create a culinary masterpiece. And doesn't that sound fancy? (laughs) I love it. (laughs) It's actually very simple. And this came to me uh, one day when I was daydreaming. I was thinking, oh, I wish I was in Paris and I'd like to go to a five-star restaurant. So I got online and I looked up five-star restaurants in Paris. And this is how the whole idea came to me, this, this methodology or concept. And basically the four steps as an overview are you're going to determine what's for dinner. You're going to determine how am I going to cook it? How am I going to season it? And with what particular regional spices and seasonings would I use to do this? And then basically, once you break it down into these simple steps, you have something that you probably would have never thought of making before. That's great. Okay, so talk us through those. So somebody is listening and they start with number one, what's for dinner? So take us through that. That's the hardest question. We, we ask ourselves that every day. And in this time of quarantine and, you know, emotional chaos, everybody's, you know, we're, we're it's not so much what we're craving or what we want to eat. It's what we have, what's available, 
what's affordable and what's really practical. Maybe it's, okay, what's in the freezer? Let's pull the chicken out. How am I going to cook the chicken? So, and then you, you know, you decide, do I want to have a protein, a vegetable and a grain? Do I want to have all of that in one bowl? Do I want to have it, you know, as three individual dishes? Do I have enough time to do that? Do I have the ingredients? So once you get that initial, that's probably the hardest step. It's just determining what are we going to eat for dinner. And then the next step would be, obviously, like you said, how am I going to cook this? Do I want it all in the same bowl? Kind of like maybe thinking through how easy do I want this to be? If you're feeling up for a bigger feast or more involved process, then you could create three separate dishes. But if you're feeling a little bit down, which I think we all can relate to during this time, then maybe it's just like a one bowl thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you can have all the nutrients and vitamins and flavor in one bowl as you can in in three dishes. So don't be afraid to mix and match, you know, that's kind of another little spin on determining what's for dinner. And that's where the creativity comes in, I think, because the one of my favorite meals is a chicken burrito bowl, like kind of a spinoff from Chipotle. And it's like everything in one. It is so easy (laughs) and so good. And I could have that every single day. But you can get so creative with this. The how to cook your step number two is like just an invitation for creativity. That's yes. And that's that's a little precursor to step three. And here's why. Let's just use the example of chicken. I've got chicken. Do I want to grill it or do I want to slow cook it? Do I want to saute it? However you determine you're going to cook this will help you determine whether you're going to use fresh herbs or ground herbs, spices, things of that nature. Because if you grill a chicken, you're not going to want to put fresh herbs on it. They'll catch on fire. You know, woody, woody <laughs> yeah, herbs, right. you know, so, okay, so I'm going to roast a chicken, but I don't want just salt and pepper, you know, but if you, once you determine how you're going to cook it, then you move on to the third step. And this is the very exciting part. This is where you can waste a lot of time too. <laughs> spin the globe. Yes. Pick, yes. Pick I love it. Yeah. And just say, ah, oh, I wish I were in uh, Greece today. Oh, I'd love to be in Santorini. Okay. So I've got chicken and I want to be in Greece. And then we're going to look at Greek seasonings. You probably have them in your pantry. Or or you say, maybe I want to go to Spain. Okay, then we're going to look and and find us some Spanish seasonings that we have. And then kind of apply that to your chicken and your rice and your green beans. And then what comes after that? After you decide on a place and kind of a seasoning, then what? Well, and then after you determined how you're going to season this. You're going to experiment and um, you can use spices. Right now, one of my favorite spices is za'atar. It's a Middle Eastern spice and it has sesame seeds in it. Really gives a nice round flavor. You're going to look at your spices, your herbs, look at different acids. We're talking lemon, vinegar, wine. Incorporate all of these into this dish you're making that normally would be chicken with salt and pepper. Consider using pastes like a lemongrass paste if you want to swing Asian or if you want to go maybe North African, consider a harissa paste. Just kind of step outside your normal area and experiment. And so once you've selected all these seasonings and spices and herbs, then you've created basically this this masterpiece 
that you cook and share with your viewers. I love this. This is like a way right now for us to daydream because I find that I'm doing that a lot. I don't know about you, but I'm cooped up at home like the rest of you are. And it's easy to take yourself to those places where you wish you could be or that you're hopeful to be someday soon again. So this is kind of a way to do that. I love your just spinning the globe. Okay, where do I want to be? What are Mm -hmm. we going to eat? What flavors are we going to incorporate into our dinner tonight? That is so fun. It's such a fun way. It really is. Enjoy food. It's fun. And, um, you know, as food bloggers, of course, we're going to experiment and measure and because we're going to share this recipe with our viewers. And you may make a seasoning blend three times that you just just can't get it right. But you got to pull all of those elements into that that flavor profile. So when I say spices, herbs, acids, paste, go one step further and go into sauces. Sauces are very intimidating for the home cook, but that's the coup de gras on really, you know, that's, that's like, oh, that looks so good. It's always in a sauce. <laughs> yes, it's true. It's saucy. Yeah. Saucy is a fun word for a reason. <laughs> right, right. Okay, so if we find something that we just really love and we share it with our audience, that's one way to kind of take what we're doing and share our food. But how do we share this or present this process to our audience? Do you think that's possible to give them the ability to kind of stir up their own creativity in the kitchen? And how do we do that? That's a good question. And in my research, And even in my everyday life, I do the same thing. I'm like, ah, I really want to put a different spin on this. But I think as food bloggers, what we can do is is provide substitute seasonings. So, for instance, if you're making a dish that needs dill or, you know, you don't have dill, what's in that flavor profile that will that will support that? You know, caraway, coriander, cumin, I mean, those smoky spices. I don't think the home cook thinks about it as much as we do, but there you can achieve a similar flavor with a substitute. And I think that's that's probably what us as food bloggers can do is demystify just demystify the spice box for me. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Demystify the spice box. I like that. You know, just I've never cooked with Zatar. What do, what is it? Try it, you know, try it and see. You might like it on a pizza. You might like it on your eggs. You never know. That's a great idea because I mean, before I started food blogging and really getting into cooking, I had all of these spices sitting in my cupboard and I didn't really know what to do with them. But, you know, years and years of experimenting, yes, I do now, but we have to consider that a lot of people are in that boat where they really don't know. Like they can toss something on a sauce and kind of hope for the best, but we can be their guide and let them know that this is a great flavor combination and you don't just have to guess we're going to give you some ideas. So that's great. Like providing alternatives or substitutions. If you don't have dill, you can easily use this and it's going to be great. Um, so that's really great. And just a note about about using herbs and, and spices. Most of us probably have more dried herbs than fresh. And so as simple as it is, the dry dried herbs are stronger than fresh herbs. And so if you use one teaspoon of a dried herb, you would need three teaspoons of a fresh herb. 
And then you put the dried herb in first and the fresh herb in last. And even just sharing that kind of information, because you can put too many, you can't over season if, if it's a dried herb and the recipe calls for fresh. Right. These are details that they need to know. And, and, and if you haven't studied food science or not in the culinary world, you would not know that. Um, the same with acids. You know, you're going you're gonna to add vinegar or lemon to your sauce. It always goes in at the end, always, because it will curdle. Yeah. And that's, like I said in the beginning of our chat, this is what's great about being a food blogger. We can explain all of this. Whereas like maybe a recipe coming from a cookbook, you wouldn't get all of those details because you just can't fit it on the page, right? <laughs> right. Well, and, and even if you could, you know, people are moving so fast, they're not going to read four pages of why you add vinegar at the end. <laughs> right. Okay. So this is really great. I really like your approach and your process that you go through. It allows us to be creative and also to share that creativity with our readers. And I think people are really looking for that right now because food is getting boring. We've got like chicken breasts, we've got ground beef, we maybe have a few veggies and we have a cupboard full of spices. What in the world do we do with all of that? So this is a really fun, great approach. So beyond the basics, what are some ways that we can go above and beyond and create things that are a little more elaborate? Do you have any thoughts about that? Like, I just think of people right now who are doing like these crazy creations. And when we went into this whole pandemic, I feel like we thought it would be just like boring chicken, just, you know, like a, a cake in a square pan. But people really are wanting more right now. So how can we even go above and beyond? Well, actually, I think people want comfort food right now. Yes, agreed. You know, I follow a lot of different groups, cooking groups, and we're really, even my close friends are like, I, I want to make, I want to make chicken and dumplings like my grandmother did. You know, it's, it really kind of is going back to the basics, but you can only make chicken and dumplings so many times. And so then it gets boring and that's where we are now. And again, we're going to go back and okay, chicken and dumplings. Okay. Let's put that in a, um, put a puff pastry on top or make a casserole, you know, kind of take it out of its element. Um, in fact, an example I saw the other day was the traditional stuffed cabbage rolls, a food blogger had turned that into a, a casserole. Mm, there you go. So like deconstructing a traditional recipe and turning it into something different. Right. Deconstructing. That's a great word because, you know, some people, uh, I don't know how to roll cabbage. I don't have the patience to roll cabbage leaves. You don't have to look at this. So maybe we just kind of restructure some of the things that are seemingly more difficult. I like that. And yes, I think you're right. Everyone's wanting comfort food. So maybe going back to those really just comforting old school dishes that people are wanting and transforming them. I love that concept. And all, you know, like even on chicken and dumplings, if you, and that, that's just one example that came to mind. But if I wanted to make that different than I normally make it, my first thought would be, I'm going to put in a little bit of dill, a little bit of, you know, I'm just going to kind of heighten the flavor a little with different but complementary seasonings. Yeah. Oh, that's great. It's giving me a lot of food for thought as well. I'm just sitting here thinking through some of my more basic recipes and how I could put a spin on those to just serve up something a little bit more unique. 
Yeah. Yeah. How does planning play a role in all of this? Because I can tell you that planning has definitely taken a front seat for me personally during this time. So what are your thoughts on planning through these meals that we're creating? Well, you know, you have to start with something. And so in terms of planning a meal, again, we go back to availability, affordability, and practicality. What's in the refrigerator? What do we have in the pantry? Where do we start? So the starting point could be basically I have five pounds of ground beef. I do not need five pounds of chili. Yeah. <laughs> and so so separate it and start planning two, planning out two beef meals or four, you know, depending upon how many you're serving. But kind of kind of break down what you've got that's available into different menus so that it will stretch that farther and then you can, you know, dress it up and change the flavor profile by going through this thought process and, and spinning the globe. That's a great formula, availability, affordability, and practicality. And just kind of starting with maybe a protein, like you said, five pounds of ground beef, you clearly do not want to make that whole vat of chili because that's kind of ridiculous, but split it up and then get creative from there and go back to your four steps. What's for dinner? Okay, let's take maybe a pound and a half of ground beef, you know, like just splitting up the protein and the veggies, splitting everything up and kind of starting fresh with each uh, little bit that you've got. I love that. I have a friend that ordered, she thought she ordered four one pound bags of green beans. She ordered four two pound oh my. bags of green beans. <laughs> and she posted on Facebook, what do I do? I said, oh my goodness. You know, <laughs> okay, well, and I listed about 15 things I thought she could do. And so her situation was was like, oh my goodness, I don't, I really don't have a clue. And so, and the same thing with rice. I mean, we we all there's no rice at the store because everybody bought it. So who wants to eat plain rice every night? Okay, well, wow, add some chicken bouillon, add beef bouillon, add tomatoes, make Italian seasoning rice with your chicken parmesan. You know, just kind of uh, dress up the boring. Yeah. Dress up the boring. That's great, too. <laughs> I love it. And I feel like, don't you agree with this, that this time is going to bring out some really new great flavor combinations and just a new way to be creative in the kitchen? I have noticed that for myself 100%. You mentioned rice. I've been thinking through ways to dress up rice, too, which is funny. I'm sure we all are. But we do have a little bit of rice sitting in our pantry. And the other night, we pulled it out and cooked it. And I too was like this, I don't want to just eat rice. So we put um, we put a little cilantro and like really finely chopped red onion and lime juice. I would not have done that before. It's like this is making me want to be more creative. It's so funny. It's like a we were talking before the interview about like weird phenomenons that this whole pandemic is bringing about. I feel like that's one of them. It's just like forcing us to be creative and maybe that will carry over into when it's done we'll all be just massively creative exploding with <laughs> ideas who knows i hope so um it, it is forcing us to as food bloggers and as home cooks to step outside the box you know if you're going to stand in the kitchen and work on a recipe for your viewers you owe it to them to get 
busy with it. Do something different. And at the end of the day, those recipes will be out there and they will be shared and oohed and odd. So it's um, it's kind of the, the silver lining in this situation. I agree. There are some silver linings and we need to be looking for those in order to stay positive. And I think this is one of them. So you mentioned, Anisha, a few things from the pantry or fridge that can really bring out the flavors in food right now. You mentioned acids like juices, obviously spices, herbs, um, seasonings like that, and then pastes and sauces. What about those things that are sitting in our pantry that are not necessarily stars, so like a can of green beans or a can of chicken broth? What are your ideas for people about things that we can do with those? Because I know I have this shelf that is just staring at me like <laughs> boring. Yeah. Do you have ideas? I, I try to, I have canned food in my pantry for backup. I try not to use a lot of canned products, but I'm not running to the grocery store every day. So, and again, let's take a can of corn. This is just an example. Just plain old canned corn or frozen corn even. What you can do with that, just heat it and eat it. Okay, that's going to get old. <laughs> let's spin the globe. Let's go to um, let's go to Mexico. Let's add some cumin and coriander and a little chili powder and some diced green chilies. Same thing with your pasta. You know, it's really pick where you want to go. What? Let's pretend we're in. Um, let's pretend we're in Russia. Mm, you know, yeah, and I, I don't know off the top of my head Russian spices, but you see where I'm going right. with that. And you can apply that that same little concept to those canned goods. You know, you got maple maple barbecue beans. Well, what can we do with those? They're going to taste the same every can. Okay, well, throw in some onions, throw in some green pepper, throw in some sun dried tomatoes, put in some brown sugar. You know, just kind of mix it up, experiment. Yeah. So it really does all go back to your whole theory about having four steps to go through and spinning the globe, finding a region, because you can do that with anything. If you can do that with a can of corn and turn corn into Mexico, then I mean, goodness, you can do that with anything. Oh, yeah. And then also the methodology, drain the corn, put it in a dry cast iron skillet and roast the dickens out of it. And you've got roasted corn. And that has a totally different flavor profile than just normal canned corn. So it's a combination of the seasonings and the method of cooking is going to produce a different flavor. I picture a graphic, like having, you know, those graphics like, okay, start with a protein and then you pick this. So I just picture this graphic in my mind of starting with what you have and then going through a handful of different cooking processes. You could even throw in their instant pot or air fryer or like a you know more method of cooking with an appliance or something like that. I mean, there's so many different options when cooking, grilling, stovetop, oven baked. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, you could go on and on. Absolutely, and and the the methodology really is is um you know you know I'm I don't I don't do the instapot yet, but. I don't have anywhere to put it in my kitchen. But for those bloggers that do, wow, bring it on. Throw some heat, throw some spices in that and and shake it up for your viewers. Exactly. I mean, the, the options really are endless. And then moving on the graphic, you've got a plethora of 
spice and seasoning options. And I just see this, see this as being so much opportunity for flavor. And it kind of excites me. Now I'm going to look at my pantry a little bit differently and not yawn when I see the can of corn, even though it is. I mean, it appears boring, but it doesn't have to be. No, it doesn't. And of course, as food bloggers, and we look at our other food bloggers recipes for inspiration. But you know, if you don't want to sit and look at other people's food ideas, you're like, I just need to do something on my own. Just go in and start experimenting. You will be surprised that some of some of the things that you come up with, your viewers are going to be like, oh, this just rocks. This is awesome. And you, it's something you thought, oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is right. so simple. <laughs> this is so simple. And then the you know, for the more experienced cook, the sauces are always, always of great value to to home cooks because most of us have sauce paranoia. And it's like, you know, <laughs> I'm paranoia. so afraid. I mean, you can, you know, you've, you've heard a million stories. Oh, my sauce broke. Oh, Lord, <laughs> I don't want my sauce to break. I don't even want to try a sauce. So um, I'm offering your viewers and listeners a a little infograph for creating derivative sauces. You can creating derivative sauces from the five mother sauces. Oh, nice. Yeah. I am a huge believer in homemade sauce making because people, like you said, they're intimidated by it. And it's like this thing. It was for me forever. And then I started making sauces out of necessity because my husband just got like a sensitivity to certain ingredients that are always in store-bought sauces. So I started making them and realized, oh my gosh, they're so easy and they're way more delicious. So I love making homemade sauces. That's one of my little secret things that I do in the kitchen. And then also putting them in the freezer so you can have them for later. Because what I used to do is I used to make like a huge batch of say pizza sauce or whatever put it in the fridge and then it would go bad because I wouldn't use it all. But now it's like put them in little containers and then just pull them out as needed. And most sauces freeze really well. Right. And and you can always resurrect them by adding a little, a uh, little more liquid or if you need to thicken it, add a slurry, but yeah. And, and that's a whole game changer too. Just in everyday cooking, Sauces are not scary anymore. They are not. They're <laughs> so easy. Every sauce I've made at home has been super easy, way more than I thought. So I encourage people to do that and encourage your readers to do that too, because they're going to want to know how to do that right now. I mean, you can't go out and just go to the grocery store every day. So if a sauce is needed, most likely you've got most of the ingredients sitting in your house. So well, exactly. And another way to create a sauce, if you don't have exactly what you need, is to, like I said earlier, go think paste. Think garlic paste, lemon paste, harissa, some of these herbal, you, you can get a, a spices and herbs in a paste. And those flavor it, but you can also create a roux around that, and then you've got a sauce. Mm, yum. I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I need to go eat lunch. Okay, so I mentioned the graphic earlier because I think that is a really great way for us to communicate right now with our audience. So, you know, putting your own spin on it, each blogger is going to have something different to offer. 
But I think putting a graphic like that together would be really helpful for people right now just to see. Maybe not necessarily a graphic. That's kind of how I think through things. But maybe a blog post. You could write something out like start with this and then go to this. And I see all over Instagram people are like, I have, like you mentioned your friend, the green beans. I see that all the time now because people are ordering their groceries so they aren't in the grocery store getting it themselves. And then something else shows up at their door or they get like a crazy amount of something and they don't know what to do with it. Lemons. I saw the other day someone was like, I have a massive bag of lemons and I have no idea what to do with this. So just providing that kind of step-by-step for your readers, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, and, it, and it's fun and we want to inspire and and um, show people that, wow, you know, this is, this can be good stuff. This is good stuff. Yeah. And it's causing us to be more creative as food bloggers, but we can also instill that creative cooking to our audience so that after this pandemic is done, people are hopefully going to be more confident in the kitchen and using our recipes more and wanting more of our content. So I think if we just put that spin on it right now and really try to foster creativity in other people, it's only going to benefit us too. Oh, I absolutely agree. And and I have a dear friend that can't cannot cook. I mean, she just can't. And and she's being forced to because you can't eat out every night. One, you can't afford it. And two, your waistline can't afford it. And she's being being forced to learn how to do this. And I pointed her to my direction and I said, Think this through, play this game with me, this little process, and apply it to what you have in your refrigerator. And uh, her her son wrote the other day, mom actually finished a 30-minute, uh, what would normally take her three hours and 30 minutes. We had dinner. <laughs> oh, funny. And it was good. And he said, and it was good. Oh, <laughs> there. see, that's a testament to you putting her in the right place and delivering some steps for her to follow. So that's great. See, I think that people are going to be doing that more and more because there are so many people, we forget this, but there are so many people who really just do not or do not want to or cannot cook at all. And those people are being forced to cook right now. And it's got to be painful. I mean, it's just, it's probably as painful to them as some of this food blogging technical stuff is to me. <laughs> Good point. You know? yeah. I mean, I just break out in a sweat every time I have to do anything, oh, yeah. you know, and, and that probably is the same sentiment for a lot of home cooks. So we need to instill confidence and show pictures, say, look, here it is. This is it, you know, yeah, and great videos that are quick and you can do this. And another reason to do those process shots that I know a lot of people just don't like to do because it's extra, but you know, for Maybe it doesn't even have to. I was going to say a more complicated recipe, but it doesn't even have to be complicated. Just any recipe showing the steps that you go through so that people can relate and say, oh, yes, good. Mine looks like that or it looks similar and guiding people as long as as much as you can. Right. Right. And that kind of supports my kind of mantra about um, if you can read, you can cook. We all learn differently and some are more visual, some are more audio. And so you don't know how your your reader or your viewer learns. And so we have an obligation as, and I put in quotes, teachers, you show them, you tell them, 
you show them again, you yeah. tell them again. And we can't be repetitive for the sake of, you know. Creating really, really long content. Yeah, <laughs> or, or being too wordy or, you know, keyword stuffing or whatever. But if you tell them what you're going to tell them and you tell them and you show them and then it's in the recipe notes, they're going to print that out or pull it up on their phone and it will be right there with the picture. So when you're frying a pork chop, you go, oh, mine looks just like hers. Good. Mm-hmm. You exactly. Know? Yep. Yeah, I like that you pointed out that everyone's going to absorb information and recipes in different ways. So providing little snippets of video and those process shots, photos along the way, and then also instructions. And then at the end of the recipe, guess what? They have an entirely filled out recipe card so they can look at, kind of review that. So this is great. Okay. Is there anything that we have not touched on that you wanted to talk about before we start saying goodbye, Anisha? Um, no, I, I just thank you so much for this opportunity. And I hope that our conversation will will inspire food bloggers to really go uh, just go a little bit beyond what you normally would. And if you're really a gourmet food blogger, you might want to reel it in a little bit and then um, kind of get back to basics. We're just kind of looking for a, an opportunity to provide something that A, is stable and we know it, but then also something that, oh, I can, I have chicken, I can do something different with that. And so we have just this obligation to teach and educate and inspire and let people know you too can make this dish and it's going to be good and you're going to like it, you're going to make it again. Yeah, this is a great conversation and it's very timely, like I mentioned earlier. Uh, It just gives us a new way to look at our kitchen and the way we cook and also individual ingredients. You know, like looking at a bag of lemons, like when I saw that person post on Instagram, it's just interesting. Like now we look at a bag of lemons or potatoes or really anything so much differently because we don't want to waste it. Absolutely. And we want it to provide flavor for as many things as we can figure out. So it's just a really interesting time with food. And so I appreciate your perspective. Well, thank you so much. I hope it's helpful. Definitely. For sure. It's going to be helpful information for everybody. So thank you for being here. And also, if you wouldn't mind, do you have a favorite quote or words of inspiration to share with food bloggers? Well, you know, this is what I've always said, and I, and I catch myself thinking this, particularly when I'm um, cooking for the holidays or for large groups. I say to myself, well, I'm making a big mess, but hopefully I'm making a memory. Oh, that's great. And the kitchen's torn upside down and there's flour everywhere. <laughs> but hopefully somebody, when I'm long gone, somebody will say, oh, I remember that time we were at Ananisha's and... And Camille threw, you know, pizza dough on the ceiling. Okay. <laughs> it was annoying to clean it up, but yeah. thank goodness we made that memory. Yeah. And That's then a on, on a closing note, I did want to let you know that as we were talking about taking it up just a little bit further and exploring the sauce world, I'm offering that infograph on my website um, for my those who sign up for my newsletter. They'll get it instantly in their inbox and they can just pop a picture of it. Oh, great. Yeah, and it shows you the mother sauce, what you add to it, the liaison, and then the derivative, which is the final sauce. And then it's categorized by type of protein or, you know, like seafood, vegetable, whatever. Oh, perfect. So tell us where people can find that 
And also, where is the best place to find you online? I am at smartypantskitchen.com, and that's smarty with a Y. And I am uh, there, Instagram and Facebook. Awesome. And if people are interested, we will link in your show notes to your page that you were talking about. But where can they find that? Do you have um, a place on your blog where they can go? For the culinary masterpiece? Yeah. Right now it's a post and I can resurrect it and it could be front and center, but it's it's there. You just have to search for it. I don't have a, yeah. Okay. So just for sake of ease, we will just link to that from your show notes, which can be found at eatblogtalk.com forward slash smarty pants, best show notes URL ever. <laughs> so if you're interested, everyone go look at Anisha's show notes, read through everything that we've covered today. And then you can also reference that graphic she's talking about. So thank you again, Anisha, for being here and sharing your wealth of knowledge about this topic. Oh, thank you, Megan. Yes. Thank you so much. And thanks for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you next time. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.